Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is the newest meeting of Movie Club. Welcome, members. I hope you found a good seat, had one of the free donuts and coffee along the side tables. Maybe spike it up with a little something extra if you're in the mood. And we're glad you're here to talk with us today about movies and today's movie on the agenda. Since we've got The Batman opening next week, our movie today for our discussion is, of course, Batman begins uh the movie that kind of kicked it off sitting here with me of course is robert meyer burnett robert you ready to talk some uh, batman begins john i am i can't believe this movie is 17 years old this year uh, i mean uh, no it's it's crazy how old this movie is at this point and sitting across from him who is also 17 years old it's ray aura ray how you doing oh, oh how i hated batman before this movie came out how can anyone hate batman i, I just I just did. I don't know why. You're a Philistine. I'm I'm just an idiot. You didn't like you didn't like Batman before the Batman Begins came out? Uh, okay. Can I can I start with this? Sure. Before Batman Begins uh came out, me I had this uh neighbor, his name was Aaron. He actually works for Santa Monica Studios and makes God of War and like I think he just worked on that Forbidden Horizon game yeah. that just came out. Anyways, he's a big Batman fan. And all my life, it's been Spider-Man. So whenever I would go over to his house, I'd be like, you know, he would have these Batman drawings. I'd be like, why you got that guy up? I was like, man, it's all about Spider-Man. I had no clue who's like anything about Spider-Man. But it was a rivalry, right? And then he was like, go watch Batman Begins with me in the theater. I'm so hyped. I'm so hyped. I'm like, no, nah. you know, F Batman, nah. whatever. And then some something happened between that period and when the DVD came out, I ran into the Batman animated series, which used to play in the afternoon in like Did you hit with your car. And you for some reason, yeah, for some reason, I had it in, on in the background. I was like, oh, Batman's really cool. Like he's mm -hmm. better than I thought he was. Right. Because at first I was like, no superpowers. Oh, he's nothing, you know. And then I went to Tower Records. This is before the Internet. You could look up reviews on anything. I bought the two disc Batman Begins special edition i went home and i think i watched it like 50 times <laughs> honestly this is and then i said i'll never say anything bad about batman again this guy he may not have superpowers but he can fight he has money he has women <laughs> he has everything and he scares uh, criminals you know what i mean so he's like he's like a man's man to be honest without any powers you have to be a man's man to do what he does well that's actually honestly that is one of the things that i heard a number of people have this discussion before but one of the things that i think what made the batman character so appealing for so long to so many generations is for at least men we look at that and there's so much about what we want to be as men we all think we can be batman we all aspire to be rich be the playboy fight crime, be all this. Like we think there's there's a part of all of us and I don't know what age it goes away. Maybe at 85 or 90 years yeah, old, it, goes John, away. it never goes away. But it's, there's a place in the back of all of our minds somewhere where we're pretty damn sure we could be Batman. Like if I really want to just commit myself, I could be Batman. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's funny that you bring this up because like, I think we all like superheroes, but I don't think like I, I never fantasized about being Superman. You know, because I know Superman flies around, he's Kryptonian, <laughs> he's goody two-shoes, but I think you're right, John. I think that everybody thinks, like, manly men think that Batman is the ultimate 
superhero for that very reason. And only- a, Batman is a career option. <laughs> we grew up believing Batman is a valid career option. <laughs> you know what? And not only that, but he's also, he doesn't just have all this great stuff. He's also really, really smart. Yes. Like, exactly. like in, yes. in a way, like there's an element of James Bond who like he can walk in and he knows what fish you know, or in your aquarium, he knows what temperature to drink champagne at. Batman is the same kind of guy. He is the Dark Knight <laughs> detective. So not only has he studied fighting techniques, martial arts techniques, he probably had a lot of schooling in his background that we don't even yep. know about. And, and the gadgets, the gadgets. And a lot of them he yep, makes himself. All the toys, all the toys, and he's the great detective. And all that kind of culminated, of course, we had the Michael Keaton Batman happen and, and all that, and that whole run of the Tim Burton era of Batman films. Then we went a while without any Batman. And then there was X-Men. And X-Men was, if we can say, and I think we can say, that the X-Men movies were the movies that convinced Hollywood and Hollywood producers and really kind of was a signal to the world about what the new era of comic book movies can be. And it really did kick off the new era of comic book movies. Then it was Batman Begins that kind of gave a glimpse to the world that not only can these things be this new valid huge these can be the best movies and they can be the biggest movies. Now, Batman Begins wasn't the world's biggest box office movie, but it did herald the fact that that's what movies, these movies could become. And then of course we saw that really pay off in the dark night and the money that these movies have made afterwards. I want to share, before we start talking about the movie specifically, I wanted to share something with you guys. You guys know I got my career started when I started a little blog called the movie blog. Back in 2003, I believe it was June of 2003, I started my career with a little hobby website I had called The Movie Blog. But I wanted to read you something. Two articles that I wrote in 2003. One article I wrote on The Movie Blog back in 2003 was this article called More Batman Casting Talk. This was on September 4th, 2003. Listen to some of these names. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Warner Brothers will be holding test uh, readings with several contenders. Let me see if I can make this a little bit bigger for you guys. Okay. We'll be holding test readings with several contenders for the role of Batman over the next three days. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter gave a list of names, some of which uh, matched a previous list that appeared this week's issue of Entertainment Weekly that no longer exists, RIP Entertainment Weekly. In addition to Hugh Dancy, if he can get away from filming King Arthur, the combined list includes Eon Bailey, uh, the first op- of the first Operation Mayhem recruit in Fight Club. He seems like a great possibility. Christian Bale, to which I commented, an inspired choice. Henry Cavill. In 2003? Yeah, none of, nobody had heard Henry Cavill's name. But one of the guys in the final list for Batman was Henry Cavill, a past contender to play Warner Brothers Superman, which little did we know years later he would become Superman. Uh, and he played uh, one of the sons in the Count of Monte Cristo. Billy Crudup, which we all knew about, was going to be it. Jake Gyllenhaal, which we knew was also a finalist in the role to play Batman. Joshua Jackson, despite his Dawson Creek roots, which of course later a fellow Dawson Creek's person was, Dawson's Creek person was in there. Uh, and Killian Murphy, which of course we know he didn't get the role of Batman, but they gave him the role of Scarecrow anyway. That's pretty funny because now we're going back 19 years. 19 years ago, I wrote this. Henry Cavill was one of the finalists. And then 10 days later, on September the 13th, 
I wrote an article on the movie blog called Meet the New Batman. It was officially <laughs> announced by director Christopher Nolan, the director of Memento, that the new Dark Knight is Christian Bale. Never really paid much attention to the rumors when his name came up, but now that I've had a chance to think about it, I think this is a fantastic choice. Although I wasn't a huge fan of American Psycho, I thought Bale was brilliant in it. Bale can pull off dark very well. He's a fine actor. He's in great physical condition, and I think he's the perfect age for the role as well. I never saw this one coming, but the new Batman is already building credibility with me. With Nolan directing and now Christian Bale in the lead role, time will, as always, tell. But I believe the fans of the Bat have a reason to be optimistic. That was all the way back in 2003. So a little bit of history there uh, talking about Batman. Now, what's interesting about that article is X-Men came out in 2000 and then Sam Raimi's Spider-Man came out in 2002. So they saw how these really large Marvel properties not only would work as films. I mean, John, remember, how does X-Men open? It opens in Auschwitz. <laughs> I mean, it it it, it was still the, the first, greatest opening of any comic book movie I mean, ever. It, it made a real effort to ground superheroics in the real world. I mean, a lot of people say, well, Rob, John, what about Blade? Well, the thing about Blade is Blade was very cool. I love Blade, but it was a fantasy your day walkers it's got vampires and cgi and you knew that it wasn't set in the quote-unquote real world but if you think about how x-men began and x-men like you brought up earlier sets the tone it starts in auschwitz and then you see this confrontation between magneto and xavier and it's two guys they're in there's a a, a united nations summit and then just two men facing off are you in my mind charles and it really changed the tone well, the future shows, not them. Yeah, it, what the tone of movies could be. So with Christopher Nolan doing Memento, he did Following, Memento, and then he did Insomnia for Warner Brothers, showing he could direct a studio movie. He comes on and he has what the approach that they had done with Marvel, he brought, he brought Batman down to earth. And his approach to it was going to be vastly different than some production-designed Anton first Batman Gotham City that we saw in Tim Burton's Batman or the crazy over-the-top Joel Schumacher Batmans He was gonna bring Batman into the real world the same way the X-Men brought the X-Men down into the quote-unquote real world and And it worked and now let's uh, without any further ado. Let's just dive in and start talking about Batman begins well, you know a lot of us I think went into it wondering, you know, what Batman are we gonna get? Yeah, like all of us I think a lot of people in my generation, when we think of Batman, we think of The Dark Knight. Retur the Dark Knight Returns, I should say. We think of The Dark Knight Returns, and that was kind of the defining uh, issues of comic books that really defined who, for us, believe Batman was. Or were we going to get the Michael Keaton, George Clooney kind of Batman? Now, they always said going into the movie that we're going to go for a, for a darker tone. Okay, okay, great, but how does that actually work? Well... May not have started in Auschwitz, but it starts in this dirt water prison where we meet Bruce Wayne about to get in a fight with all these guys. This guy's, I'm the devil. And then you got an instant understanding of Bruce Wayne when one of his first lines in the movie is, you're not the devil, you're practice. And then he starts to beat the hell out of all these guys. He gets carried away by the guards saying where are you take me you're going to to um what's it called when you get, get locked up alone not seclusion uh, no it's uh, not uh, isolation uh, 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 uh you know uh, solitary. Solitary. solitary 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 
And, and, and Bruce is like, why? The guards, protection. I don't need protection. Protection for them. And then the camera pans over. You got these nine guys laying out on the ground all spread out. It's like, here we are. This is Batman. He may or may not. And then, of course, we're also introduced right there to Liam Neeson as Descard slash Rajal Ghoul. How perfectly slick and awesome was he in this? That voice, that menacing presence that he'd been as he teaches Bruce Wayne everything he has to know. Now, I'll tell you what, one of my favorite moments in the film, like one of my ooh moments, it says they're fighting on the ice. And he says, your parents' death wasn't your fault. And they're fighting, fighting. He says again, your parents' death wasn't your fault. It was your father's. And the way Christian Bale played that moment with that look of, what did you just effing say? And, like how, and I can't believe you just said, how dare you say that, right? Your father and his inability to act. And that's, it was his fault. And it's like, that moment still hits me so heavy. And Christian Bale played that moment so great. I, I absolutely adored it. And that's one of the reasons why I got hooked into this movie immediately was that whole opening sequence, that whole opening part. You know, origin stories can be held can be handled in, in in many different ways, good and bad. But this was a great example of a really good way to go tear right down to its roots, go right to Benny. And we're going to tell you how this guy came about being the Batman. And I thought that was great. And they do. I think I, absolutely right. And one of the things I really loved about this is that there's no green screen. There's no, I mean, you're in the rain and in the mud and in a, a horrible, what, Chinese prison or North Korean prison, wherever the hell they are. And uh, it, it's, it's this. Or it might in, have been Tibet or Tibet, something. Yeah, this know. inhospitable environment that has no fantasy tropes or of any kind. You know, and you're watching, it, it's very much a real world environment. And they juxtapose that scene with young Bruce Wayne at Wayne Manor. Uh, with with uh, uh, his friend, you know, Rachel Dawes as a little girl and Bruce Wayne playing in their kind of the terrarium or what do you call it, the greenhouse where they're at and they're, he falls into the hole and you're introduced to the motif of bats. You know, he's fallen through this old, into this old well and this, this just swarm of bats comes out and surrounds him. And like you pointed out, John, earlier when we were talking before the show, the idea of bats as a fearsome, symbol that is ingrained in Bruce's mind from the very beginning after after going through this traumatic experience and you see that that it's him the 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 fear of bats is something that is 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 just innate in in Bruce Wayne because of this experience even before his parents are killed even before uh he's been scarred the idea of bats as a fearsome, I, I, I loved that motif and I thought they did a great job. Again, you don't see a bunch of CG bats, even though they probably are. It feels real. Yeah. You know, it feels tangible. And every audience member knows what it's like to be, you know, to fall in that well. We all we all understand and falling in a well is bad enough. But then to be swarmed by these bats, my God. And and this movie between these two juxtapositions of these two scenes, you're sucked in. You're like, you buy into Bruce Wayne as a human being, as a man. He's not some fantasy caricature or some guy in a suit. He is a person. He's a real person. And we've never seen Batman portrayed on screen like this ever before. I, I mean, that event right there just shows you how much of an impact like an incident like that can have yeah on you it became a monster in his head like just the fact that he broke something when he fell 
he was by himself it was dark then these creatures just start swarming him he had no help from anybody powerful start it's just a horrible situation to be what was he seven or eight yeah he was young yeah he, he, was, was, young. he was young imagine the worst thing that happened to you when you're young you still remember it till this day you know what i mean so it's just it's a great beginning to uh to uh understanding why why the bat is important to him and i also love the fact that it makes the real world scary you don't have to be you don't have to be in down crime alley with a bunch of thugs coming after you uh you're in real environments prison <laughs> wells and it's not it isn't fantastical it's real yeah now there's there's one thing that i would say though and but I remember this used to be an issue for me a long time ago, but really how long did I want this movie to be? The one kind of area they never covered was, I mean, yes, we saw what happened once Bruce went to the league of shadows and started training, but he was taking out six guys single-handedly in Tibetan prisons already. What, how did he get to that point from the young guy who leaves after seeing chill murdered? to when we find him in that prison, how did he become this guy that can take out six guys at once? And that part of the movie they never really covered. But, I, but you know, the more I thought about it, was that really necessary? We saw how he made the final leg of the journey. He br gets brought to the League of Shadows. They're very cryptic on time passage. Like, I don't. for all we know, he was at the League of Shadows for two days. For He could have been there for, for three years. Yeah. We don't know. But before that time, remember, he went, instead of, like, living off his name, he went to where where was China and lived that street life. Yeah. And when you live on the Stealing streets, his own stuff. And when you yeah, when you live on the streets and you have nothing, you learn a lot about fighting. I believe. But and not a all. Lot about you don't become taking ninjas. Care of but you don't become he's a ninja. special. We'll just say he's, he's special. special. But you I, know, I, I mean, that's the way I took it. I didn't really need to know how he got those fighting. Yeah, I, I, I assumed that we we were watching the end when he was in prison. We were watching the end of a journey that lasted a decade. Yeah, like he had traveled the world, meeting different people. He's probably all over the world. And I have to say, what I what I thought was brilliant is when Ducard gives him the flower you know, and says, come up to this monastery. You, you're now, you've been in the real world. They've established the real world for you, but now you're going to the League of Sasses, the headquarters of the ninjas, you know, which, which you're moving out of the real world. And even though it's done very realistically, you're moving into a very comic book realm. Yes, you have to climb the mountains. And, and I love that because then suddenly you're watching, you're now in like a martial arts movie. Some fantasy sci-fi epic from China from like 1975 that I used to love growing up as a kid, but it's done so badass. And he's fighting ninjas. He's training on poles and doing all these things where you would imagine Batman would be forged into the final, the final version of what he would become was happening right there in front of you. And I love that. I loved it. You know, that was kind of believable to me. I actually think like in my head that there's groups out there that trained the specific way i told you it's a career option yeah i am telling you it's an absolute like hidden in the mountains option. hidden in the mountains you know i have I, you know there's gotta be in this whole world there's gotta be like an elite group of like assassins sure <laughs> it's weird that when bruce is climbing the mountains and he gets to the to the temple that my one thought as they did the wide shot of the temple there on the mountainside was how did they get all the building materials there in the summer Is it weird dude. how the did summer. they get all the building materials there to build this place but that be that as it may we go and we meet who we think is Rajal Ghul, and his voice is so 
it. I mean, his it just oh, it is, and therefore is beyond safety. I mean, just the way he speaks is so damn cool. Like, I just I wish I could speak like that. Anyway, so you get in there, we get into the training, all that kind of stuff, and they actually start to bond. Like, even at that moment, now we know it was all a lie, but when they bring out the farmer and say, "Now we got to test your will to actually bring about true justice." This man is a murderer. And when Bruce says, I'm not an executioner, you could see Ducard, who we actually know is Rachel Ghoul, almost pleading with him. It's like, Bruce, please, like, you, you can't go back now. Like, this is... Right. Like, he's hurting. Like, he well, he's wants- now the father figure that Bruce had lost. Yes. And he was looking at Bruce like a son. And it wasn't just to become a member of the league. He was going to lead the league. He was going to be the leader of the League of Shadows. You can now lead these men, right? And that whole moment when he's asked, and this is his come to Jesus moment. Like this is, this very early in the film is like Luke Skywalker's come to Jesus moment, like given to hate, kill, strike down your father, take your, his place by my side, or let him go. He had his choice. We come to that moment for Bruce early in the film when he's like, this guy's a murderer, just like the guy who killed your parents is a murderer. And now you're going to inflict justice. And he made that decision, that choice. I'm not the executioner. He should be tried. But it's funny because you get this philosophical discussion going on between Descartes and, and Bruce. Like, he says he should be tried. And Descartes raises a good point. By who? Corrupt bureaucrats? Paid off politicians? There's not true justice there. And so you have this intellectual debate going on before this big physical conflict. And he's got a good point. And he does. And that's the thing. That's what makes a movie like this great is when you can hear the villain speak and go, it's kind of like the Thanos thing. It's like, well, you know, there's only so many resources in the universe, guys. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Thanos has a point. Hashtag Thanos was right, right? So I just thought that was great. And then it builds into that big, the, the big fight there. The place burns down. He manages to get out, carries Descartes out, saves his life, leaves him with the, the villagers out there. I will tell him you saved his life. I mean, this is a great moment. And then Alfred, who's always there. Yo, Alfred, can you come pick me up at the mall? No. Can you come get me in Tibet or wherever it is <laughs> they were? Can you fly my plane out here and come pick me up? And Alfred's there at the ultimate Uber. It's just a great opening to this film. Yeah. And, it, and also, it again, it, it completely world builds. And it sets up the entire environment. This is not... A goofy Batman. This is nothing like the '60s Batman. This isn't even the the film noir esque of the bat nature of the Batman the animated series. This is a new Batman. And Nolan had said when they first set out on this journey to make this movie, he was showing his collaborators Blade Runner, you know. And Blade Runner, for all of its fantasy LA, it's very much steeped on the streets of a very plausible world. And the way it looks, the the way even the way it's shot with Wally Fister's cinematography and stuff, it looks, it just looks different than any comic book movie that we'd seen. Uh, and you brought up the plane ride. I think that's yeah. a very important part in the movie because oh, that's where he he actually lays down what his purpose is to yep. Alfred. Like he says it exactly. Like I I, I don't know word by word stuff, but you, if, as a man, I'm corruptible. I can be killed. Yeah, yeah. But as, a uh, what was the word? A as symbol. a symbol. symbol. As a symbol. Yeah, I mean, that was, you're right. He, he sits down on his plane and says, okay, Alfred, here's the place. It's like the beginning of the, right there, the beginning of the Batman right there, the, the actual Batman. And Batman. that is that is the end of this 
presumably 10-year journey where he's traveled the world and learned from all of these different teachers. I saw Ducard or Razagul as the last in a series of mentors he probably had. We just didn't see them. And you know what? Michael Caine actually did a small joke in there, but I like it because it sets like the tone for all the other jokes that come. They're not outrageous. They're like very in the conversation. It doesn't throw you off from like the theme. Like you know, something like the mask is to protect like, those like, close to you, Rachel. Yeah. No, I was thinking about myself. And then, and yeah. then he's like, right. "I bought all your shares." He's like, "Feel free to borrow the Royals all or the, the Royce or whatever." Yeah. You know, so it's just like fill those, up the tank. It's those small conversational jokes that don't take away from the theme of the movie that actually worked for me because it gave him personality, gave everyone else personality. It also showed the bond between them, that they yeah. that they interact like that, that he can speak to him like that, right? It showed that bond and that personality. And, and that opening of that movie, setting up, completing the journey, as you said, from whenever it is he walked out of that courtroom to however many years later it was, he's now returning to Gotham and away we go. So I, where do we pick it up from there? What, where, what do we talk about after well, that? Well, he point? met Falcone and all them. So well, that, yeah, that well, was yes, that. Like the when, crime. Yeah, the I, crime. That was before he even left. Yeah, home. and I think what's really, I, I, this idea that when he left Gotham, and, and it wasn't just Thomas Wayne and his wife that died. It was, the, it was the good that existed in Gotham. They represented that, and it's all gone now. The city in the time that Bruce has been gone is completely corruptible. Cops are on the take justices are probably bought off there's very few people but there are still people fighting for the good fight lucius fox he's been relegated to the basement you know <laughs> who worked with thomas wayne helping him build his train and and so the city is rotten you know it's rotting from the inside out when bruce arrives back at back in gotham i mean it's not just his father dead it's like the city is being murdered in front of him and and so bruce arrives and there's a new there's a new sheriff in town but can I can I bring up another little pet peeve? One of my pet peeves in a lot of movies, actually many, many, many movies, and Batman Begins had one of them. Lucius Fox. In the real world, people can be super smart in one area. And if you are, that does not mean you are a genius in every field. Like whenever you come, like it, this happens all the time in the CW shows and in other movies too. It's like if somebody's a super brilliant uh, I don't know, a uh, computer engineer. Well, suddenly they know how to fly airplanes and they know the, the this of this, right? Lucius Fox is this research and development guy. That he's building tumblers and he's building Kevlar warrior suits. Well, in the movies, he's a smart guy. That means when Bruce gets infected with Scarecrow's toxin, Fox knows how to extract a blood sample I identify and isolate the pathogens and create an antidote. It's like, wait a minute, that's not your area of expertise or feel. And I just, it does drive me crazy when in the movies, a super genius is a super genius of everything. And that that part just kind of makes me- You know what though, I little... kind of looked at it a little differently. I, I looked at it as there used to be that, that Fox has a whole network of people that he works with, but we just don't see them. You know, because he's got all kinds of, like, he didn't build all of the machine. He didn't machine the parts that went into the tumbler. He has a whole, it's like, even when they talk about 
the manufacturing they got overseas in China to make or wherever they have it to make all the Batman suits that they need, you right. know. So you've got source to, all the material. Yeah. So they've got to me, I always had the idea that Lucius Fox was the head of a, a of a global organization to manufacture things and part of that would be because it was weapons for the military yep. that he probably had access to like you samrit or someplace where he could send out the the uh, a sample to get to get it to come back to see what i know what and he was. was explaining at the end he did he was explaining he didn't send it out to get done he yeah. did it well <laughs> it's yeah like, he said so you're an multiple. expert in biology as well i say when movie like movies do that all the time but whatever i mean the thing is the other thing about lucius fox though when we meet him one of the best conversations, you were talking about the conversation that Bruce has with uh, Alfred. Alfred on the plane, right? There's this great conversation that Bruce has with uh, with Lucius where, and it isn't the first one, it's a little bit later. It's like another spelunking accident, uh, base diving billionaires. And basically he says, I'm not wording it exactly. He goes, look, Mr. Wayne, whatever you want to do, I figure if I don't know, I don't have to lie about it. But don't think me an idiot. That, right. That's a great right. line. Yeah, yeah. I and it said only the way that he can say it, right? Only the way a Morgan Freeman can say it. And but it's just because he carries a power with it too. He goes, hey, you want to do this? You want to do that? It's like, listen, I don't know who you think you're fooling. Did you think you're fooling me? Like you like you can do all you want. You don't have to tell me what you're doing. All this stuff belongs to you. But don't think me an idiot. And I love that moment. And again, just like that conversation of the plane with Alfred really established that relationship. I felt like that conversation really established what their relationship was and moved 100%. forward in the movie. You, you could tell Lucius, every, the very first time uh, Bruce borrowed something, you could tell like all over his face, he was like, BS, that's BS, whatever, whatever you're saying. Like you could just tell, like it, when he said spelunking, like you could tell his, <laughs> you could tell in his face is like, Okay, I'll I'll play along with it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. you know, but you knew he was smarter than that. So that that line was great because we we don't want him to be playing dumb the rest of the time. I mean, just cut the shit. Plus, yeah, we know, we know. Yeah. But these were adult relationships. It yes. felt like we were watching a movie about. I know it's Batman, but real people in some kind of a real world situation as opposed to being in comic book land and i thought that those relationships those adult relationships between human beings that were not stupid they knew what was going on and also they were fun and the idea that bruce wayne looked at these what was it called applied research applied sciences applied yeah. sciences and applied sciences that there was all these things that were there that were just languishing away in the, the same place. I bet if they looked hard enough, they would have found the Ark of the Covenant buried somewhere <laughs> in that room. And, 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 but it was so, it was so great that, that, that Bruce saw these things. He saw the application like, Oh, I could use that. And I could use that. And I could use that. And while he didn't make them, he could see how to use all of these things in his Batman way. And I, I loved all that. I thought it was great. I was salivating at the look at that whole whole place. Imagine that all was those drawers, all those toys that are in there. I would look at every single thing that was in there, asked about every single thing that was in there. When now, I see it, Mr. That, Wayne, you own all this already. Or, yours, or, or when Wayne sees Tumblr, what's that? Oh, that? You wouldn't be interested. In that. <laughs> like, that was so slick. But, but all that, a little bit later... And I can't remember if it was uh, The Dark Knight or if it was Rises. I can't remember. But all that stuff, it did leave a paper trail. And it ultimately led in one of the future movies that another executive at Wayne Enterprises figured out 
that Lucius Fox is supplying the Batman and that Bruce Wayne is Batman, which led to another great conversation was, let me get this straight. You want to blackmail a man who goes out at night, dressed <laughs> as a bat and beats criminals within an inch of their life. And your plan is to blackmail him. Good luck. And then oh, that, that was great. But uh, anyway, back to this thing, the Tumblr introduction though, like I, I will still say to this day, I, there have been some great Batmobiles, absolutely great Batmobile. And it's, you almost can't even call the Tumblr a Batmobile because it is so radically different. But it remains to this day my favorite Batmobile. Oh, yeah. Like, by miles, it is my absolute favorite Batmobile. That's a man's man. It's <laughs> oh, controversial, but I remember when fans started seeing it, like, what kind of a Batmobile is that? Like, and people complained. It's change. It's the change. People can't get used to the change. But, you know, the fact that they made all of Batman's equipment believable, that was something else. Like... You, you, the, the fact that he had some kind of Kevlar or body armor, it made sense. And, oh. and suddenly it brought everything down to earth where you believed now that Batman had an arsenal of weapons that was plausible. And yeah. you, you know, that was our first um, introduction to what we now call as vinyl, vinyl thing or, or like flex seal. Because remember how he sprayed at the Kevlar had yep. all those indents. He sprayed that one thing it was and it covered smooth. it got all smooth. And I was like, you know, flex seal. That's what uh, at least Ryan was saying. It was flex the, seal. the flexi seal. And by the way, one of the things that I love they did in this was we're sticking on the, the the Batman outfit here for a minute. But when you get into a lot of these superhero movies, at some point, the character becomes the hero. And then they just show up in their superhero costume. What? Like even in Spider-Man. And I love the Spider-Man movies. But... Oh, really? That high school kid just suddenly whipped out a needle and thread and made that costume. I'm sorry. Like, where are the co But they actually spent a workout montage in this of Bruce actually putting in the work of just making the outfit. And you rarely see that in these movies. No, and also it was an evolutionary process when he went and saw Jim Gordon for the first time. Yeah, right, yeah. He's wearing like it, the spelunking outfit. And, the, and then the hood, the hood like a robber's Right, he didn't right. have the cowl ready. No, yet. he didn't have any of that stuff. And, and, you know, when and also I loved when he's trying to get away from Gordon and Gordon follows him up and outside and, and Bruce jumps across the and gets hurt. He's so amateur. You know, he's, he, yeah, he's he hasn't really he hasn't got there yet. But again, it all it all adds to the believability of this whole world. So the the movie really spends the first hour putting all the pieces into place, showing you all the players, and making you believe that our Batman, Christian Bale's Batman, Nolan's vision for the Batman can really exist. It, it reminds me of the part. Where, and I hate to bring it up another. You know, when Miles Morales' uncle, he's like. You're new to this, huh? You got to get better at this. That that part is like he was like falling around, tumbling. He wasn't as like stealthy, right? But it's it's a it's a great way to open the beginning of him actually going out and doing missions or whatever you would. But call it him. showed what his growing understanding of what is he need because he's running from from Gordon. He makes the big leap, and then he realizes I need something a little tougher. I need something that can do this. And, and he then, goes, gets the cape. Yeah, I need something for, I need, because he hurt himself jumping from one video. Uh, I need to go, what do you call it? Cliff diving? Yeah. Cliff diving. I need uh, base, jumping. base jumping. That's what it was. I need something now for base jumping. So these little things he would have would make him realize he needed something else. Go back to Lucia's, get it. And we get to see this in a very short period of time, but we get to see this evolution of what becomes the basic and iconic Batman look 
than what he does. And it all comes from these little misadventures that he has trying to do it. And then and then we are introduced to a pan, little a pantheon of villains. Yep. Yes. You've got Falcone, you've got Scarecrow, you you've got the corruption of the police department. Yep. You know, and and you're seeing it from all and what they're doing is they're setting up that the administrative areas of this city are completely corrupted and crime is taken over, the cops are bought off, and you have this this core group of people with Rachel Dawes and the DA's office or whatever, and, and Jim Gordon, they're good. So you, you've set up the, the, the line between, literally between good and evil within the confines of the political structure of the city. You know, you've got Jim Gordon as a good cop. You've got Rachel Dawes as a good lawyer. And they're fighting against overwhelming forces right. that that are that have their tendrils in every other part of the city. And it's really interesting. It's almost like The Wire, but in a Batman movie, you know, and they're, they're giving us and it's not boring. You know, this could have been like, well, how are we going to make these people the villains and how are we going to show all this? And it's done really, really well. It shows you how Go Gotham has just pretty much submitted to all the, the corruption like the scope of like what the odds that uh batman or christian bale is getting into or bruce wayne is getting into are in you know for a regular man that people will just end up joining instead of going against it it just shows you the power that corruption had over the city how dark it was how yeah like even the narrows i think she called it the yeah. narrows was just like a horrible part where the homeless yeah and like, like tenements people and the are on homeless drugs or well remember too there's there's that moment where i can't remember the actor's name but he's bobby from sons of anarchy uh who's gordon's partner he's a corrupt cop and he comes in gets in the car with him he's got the money in his hand goes you want a taste he's like no nah. and he's like you know you make the other guys nervous when you don't take a taste he's like i'm no rat but you got to see that as well by the way i just want to throw this in here because i know most people watching this probably are already cognizant of this, but for the few people who aren't, one of the people we also meet along the way in Gotham that Batman comes across and then comes across again later in the film is a little boy out on a balcony that the kids aren't going to believe me that I met the Batman. Hmm. And then, of course, Rachel saves his life a little bit later on. That kid, of course, would grow up to become King Joffrey. Uh, the murderous, evil, villainous Game of Thrones King Jo. There was this great meme that I saw uh, years, years ago, but there was this absolutely fantastic meme that came out that when uh, Rachel Dawes and Batman were saving the kid, now remember, make sure you grow up and do something good with your life. And then the next picture was him, <laughs> King Joffrey, like having all these people executed, which I thought was pretty funny. Anyway, so now we've got Batman and we, he's got his tumbler and he's got his outfit and he's ready to go. And now we start having him crossing paths with villains. And this comes to really the real introduction of Batman in the movie. Oh, the uh, best part of the movie. Falcone is, is doing this thing. He's got the, the shipment coming in and he's splitting the drugs into two parts. One going to his drug dealers and one going to the man. And there's something a little bit different about those drugs. But that's that scene amongst all those, you know, con shipping containers and everything that Batman first shows up. It is, to a degree, a frustrating scene. Because while Christopher Nolan knows not to do shaky camera in fights, there is a camera edit every two-tenths of a second. And you never actually, as Batman drops down to take out all the guys... The, literally, the edits are so fast, you never actually see anything that's going on. And that might have been partially a creative decision. 
on on Nolan's part. But you know, this is all this thing going back and forth, and it cuts to Falcone in his car trying to get his gun loaded. Cuts back to just fifty-five quick edits in five seconds of the fight going on in the back end, and then it comes back and just everybody's on the ground, and that has dramatic effect. But I I do. I remember even at the, the first time I watching, it's like, this is going to be our first chance to watch Batman kick ass. And I couldn't see him kick ass. So that, and you know what? I think it's fair to say that became one of the more ongoing criticisms, maybe of the brilliance in the Christopher Nolan Batman films was the fact that they were never the best movies as far as how they shot the action, at right. least the hand-to-hand combat action. That might've been the one single weakness of the Nolan Batman films to me. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, you know, he said that he didn't want a second unit crew shooting these sequences. He shot first unit on all this stuff. Now, normally you'd have a second unit, like an action director coming in and directing the fight sequences. And because Nolan didn't necessarily do that, I don't think it was his forte. I just don't think he was, he was as ready to shoot action he he's much more of a clinician his his directing style is very precise and very in a way sort of clinical um there's not a lot of uh directorial pyrotechnics like like you know it's it's very classical the way he sets all this stuff up but one of the things like i agree with you but one of the things i did like about this opening sequence is the chaos of it all yes you know created so you understood that the criminals themselves don't know what the hell is going on you know it created this everything is off kilter like wait what who is this guy what is happening where are they going and it shows that in a way I, i watching this again it struck me that it's part of a tactical decision that Batman himself has made to throw everybody off because he also doesn't know what's going on. There's a there's a great interesting mystery happening as well. Like Scarecrow is kind of in the middle. He's got his own thing with Arkham. He's doing drug experiments and he's making drugs in Arkham. And at the same time, Falcone is not really as important as we might have first thought he was. Right. He's kind of low man on the totem pole. He becomes he, a side character. Yeah, and he story. thinks he's cool. He thinks... But really, we realize, oh, something's going on with Killian Murphy and, and Scarecrow, and there's more here than meets the eye. And Batman doesn't know anything yet. He just thinks he's going after drug pushers on the docks. He doesn't know yet what exactly is happening. And I, I liked all of that. It was it be, So you have an element of mystery. Uh, the whole scene to me actually was just terrifying, like the way I wanted to see Batman. Like right. coming out of nowhere, grabbing a people. Nightmare. But I said that that was my favorite part. I thought you were going to allude to the Batcave. Because oh, that no, I, is my actual favorite part. When he stands up and faces those bats and the score behind it yeah. was why I I got that he soundtrack. He closes his eyes dun, and, dun. and I was like, that gives me goosebumps just watching that scene. Just because of the sound. Hans Zimmer. Woo. Yeah, like best soundtrack ever. And I love that 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 percussion they use. Like Batman has his own like theme whenever he shows up, whenever he's about to appear, almost like when Jaws appears, yep. and Jaws the shark when Bruce appears. But what's great is that it it it's almost like the flap of a bat's wing that they use in that music. Like mm. and the the I wouldn't be surprised if they sampled like that the, his cape because it's like. <laughs> you know, and it's it also got kind that. of reminds me of the heartbeat too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like that, it's, that, that, the tension it's a really great choice that they've run through all three of nolan's movies the way they have like the whining like it's it's really interesting and you know hans zimmer was collaborating with james newton howard on the score it's a really interesting 
uh, way to go about scoring a movie because sometimes you hear a melody, but it's atmospheric and it it really it it really creates tension and 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 it it, it just makes you as an audience member tense up. Like what's 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 going to happen? You know, jumping ahead a little bit in the film, I was reading some complaints about ultimately what was Rachel al Ghul's plan. And they said, well, it was stupid that the, the ultimate plan, put this chemical in the water system, then steal this uh, microwave emitter <laughs> to cause all the water to instantly evaporate and release this gas that would be tier, a tier thing to make a thing. And I read some people saying, and I get where they were coming from saying, well, that was dumb. Why didn't he just poison the water? If they wanted to destroy Gotham, why not just poison the water and kill everybody? But I think they were missing the point because the thing about what the League of Shadows has done, they didn't bring an army in to slaughter a country. They look, they make it look like a civilization collapsed upon itself. Yes. So he wanted it to look like Gotham destroyed itself. Yeah. And that was the whole idea. He, Yeah, he could have just gone in there and dropped a bomb on Gotham. Okay, but that wouldn't have accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He wanted the world to see that, that symbol of you know, a, a, a society that had fallen onto its own decadence and its own corruption tore itself apart and destroyed itself. And that's what he tried to do. And that's why at the end of the day, I actually thought the whole plan was kind of brilliant. I thought the plan at the end was really and good. And terrifying. Yes. And also that whole theme of society tearing itself apart is in all three of Nolan's Batman movies because you've got at the end of the Dark Knight, you know, is somebody going to blow, are these people going to blow up the other boat full of people? And then you've got, is Gotham, now that there's lawlessness after Bane has blown up the bridges and is bat, is Gotham or the people of Gotham going to tear themselves apart? It's, it's the same idea that civilization brings about its own demise in all three of Nolan's Batman movies. And I think they do a really good job of that setting that up here and they show how terrifying it actually is if that were to take place and then of course you got that kind of confrontation moment at the end when they're on the train you know ghoul is trying to bring the emitter to the actual hub of the water system itself to wayne tower the only way batman can stop it is to get gordon to blow the thing out and that was great because you can't stop this train who said anything about stopping the train and then of course that iconic line which is a little bit of a cop-out but the iconic line, nonetheless, I'm not going to kill you. Well, first, Descartes says to him, you finally learned what it is to do what is necessary. He says, I'm not going to kill you. But that doesn't mean I have to save you. Yoink. Well, you kind of killed him. <laughs> like, <laughs> you you kind of killed him. You kind of did. But still, that line was, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And that awesome shot of his grappling hook going out of the window. And I don't know if it was the grappling hook that pulled him or just the wind with the wings and he just flies right out the window. And then that awesome shot, there's a beautiful shot that Christopher Nolan put in there that as the train starts to go off the rails, you see Ray Ghul, Liam Neeson sitting there and he just accepts his fate. He doesn't panic. He realizes what's about to happen. He knows nothing to do about this point. He just closes his eyes. And I like to think that in that moment, as he realized the train was about to go off the tracks and he just closes his eyes. I like to think in that moment, he thought about his wife. Cause we remember, we learned earlier in the film that what drove him to become this in the first place was his loss. Yeah. You know, him and Bruce suffered similar things. The person or people absolutely dearest to their hearts was taken from them by murderers. 
And but they each grew then and developed in different ways from that point. They each reacted to that moment in their lives in different ways. But I like to think in that moment, as he was going over the edge, that he thought about his wife. I got nothing that backs that up and nothing I've seen. <laughs> sure, but script. I like that idea. But I like can, that can idea. We, can we just talk about one thing right here? Sure. The scarecrow. The, that's the way they presented him on screen. His Terrifying. His tactic. Yeah. What, what he did in order to make himself terrified. I, I actually bought into it. I actually like that idea of like poisoning people so they have... Uh, they're hallucinating about the stuff that's coming out of his face. I thought that worked really well for me. I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah. It was great because ultimately, look, when you look at Killian Murphy, he's not physically intimidating, but all of a sudden you get sprayed with that gas and he puts on that mask. He is terrifying. And the flip side of that was, I love the scene where, where Killian Murphy gets gassed yep. and Batman oh. becomes demon Batman. This black, all and black And he's got face. stuff drooling out of it. It's, it's so great. And by the way, Hot Toys did make a two-pack <laughs> oh, no. of each of, each of those did. figures, Nightmare, and I didn't get them. And the armory, too. But uh, another cool part was the when he uh, emits the bats so he could go into that oh, building. What is that sound? Back up. When, and when he dropped down through yeah. the, with the bats, I thought that part was really cool, like way cool, over, over the top cool, actually. Well, look, it looked awesome, and what would that do to his legend in the city? Sure. Where not only is this guy dresses like a bat, no, no, I swear to you, a million bats literally showed up, <laughs> and we had to dive and take cover. I mean, that would go. And again, the one of the that's a part of the extension, one of the great lessons that Rachel Gould said to him, and I can't remember the exact wording is about, but it's basically, it's theatrics can be a powerful tool. Yes, I I also like that technique they use. It's like very cliche, but when the superhero first arrives. You get the little shots of people. Yeah, it was one guy. It was one guy. You yeah. know, like talking about it, like, <laughs> like you know, the rep is starting to build. I really like when they throw that in there. That's not too like obnoxious. Just like every now and then. Oh yeah, I heard it was one guy. Yeah, he's he comes at night. You know, I thought that was he put that well, or he placed that well inside the movie too. Now let's let's fast forward a bit. Now to the end of the film, Wayne Manor's been destroyed. And Rachel comes in there. So this is going to be their first conversation with her knowing that saying, because it goes, he gives her that line. It's not who I'm inside that, that defines me, but my <laughs> actions or something like that. Bruce. No, okay, of course it's Bruce. But then she comes back as they're kind of fixing up. And she says, I really like the way she said it to him because they said something that in principle, something I love. They didn't really do it in this movie, but the whole idea about no, the mask isn't the mask is who you really are. This, and she touches me. This is the mask. And maybe the man I fell in love with is still out there. And maybe he'll come back when Gotham doesn't need the Batman anymore. And that one line becomes the absolute kind of cornerstone of what the next movie is all about. It's about him trying, Bruce trying to make Gotham the place that doesn't need Batman anymore. You know, it's got Harvey and it's all about her and it's all about trying to get to her. But that moment was actually pretty nice. I, I agree. And, you know, let me ask you this. What do you what do you guys think of Katie Holmes? Obviously, she was replaced by Maggie Gyllenhaal in The Dark Knight. But what did you think of her performance? I thought it was fine. To, yeah. To be honest with you, like there was now part of it was the writing, but like let's let's go back to earlier in the film before Bruce takes off for ten years, um, when he's sitting in the car with mm -hmm. him and she goes, "What happens when there aren't good people to stand up to injustice?" It's like there was something corny about the lie and, and to be fair to her i don't know if it was her delivery of the line or if it was just the way the lines were written 
I'm not going to lie to you. I wasn't super thrilled because she's a very good actress. She later went on to be in um, uh, Leah Schreiber's show on Showtime. Ray Donovan? Ray Donovan. She she had a season on Ray Donovan, and she was actually excellent in that. But both her and Maggie Gyllenhaal, who is a fabulous actress, I, I never got really totally into either of them as Rachel. Um, but again, like nothing, they didn't detract from the movie. She certainly did not detract sure. from it. But yeah, I think like when you look at all the the lineup of all the people in it, I'd say that to me is maybe not the weak link, but maybe the the least strong link in it. Mm. But I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? No, you know, I, I, it's funny going back and watching it again now, and I hadn't seen it in a while. I kind of liked her presence. I mean, it's almost like she's kind of in another movie in a way, because there's a sweetness to her that doesn't really... Maggie there Gyllenhaal. is a sweetness to her. Yeah, yeah, Maggie, maybe I'm thinking, you know, Dawson's Creek, but there is a sweetness to her. She looks, she's very beautiful, and but she's almost delicate in a way. Like, she's not hard enough to be in Gotham, even though she's <laughs> this tough as nails, working for the DA's office. I mean, I'm going to bring justice. Maggie Gyllenhaal was, a, I think, a better fit, because I believe that she was more of, like, she'd beat you up. And yeah. there's, there's this scene on the on the train when she's on the train going home and the thugs have been sent out to kill her, you know, and they threaten her and Batman shows up and and make sure it doesn't happen. I kind of thought that removed agency from her. Like here she is knowing how dangerous this city is. But let me take the subway home. You when, know, by the way, when my boss has just gone missing and I assume dead. Yeah, I, I'm like, uh, get some protection, man. Call call it call Jim Gordon and, and and hook me up because that I, I that was a that was something I I I I'm like, come on, Rachel, why are you on the subway right now? Yeah, alone. Know? Unprotected. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, it, it those are minor missteps. Although one scene that I loved with her was it's after they've started releasing the gas in the city, right? And she's with King Joffrey. And says, don't worry, uh, you're going to be okay. And then Scarecrow shows up on a horse. Of course he won't be, or something like that, right? And he's rah, 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 he's this big monster. And she just pulls out a taser. What, what do you call the taser guns? What are those called again? Uh, yeah, just, um, yeah, a taser. taser. It's just a taser. Yeah. She but pulls out a taser. The one that shoots out. The yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she shoots it out and hits him in the face. And it, it just shows without the gas and without the mask, he ain't much. Because she no. pulls out the little taser, shoots him, and hits him in the face, and he's, ah! and runs away i you, love that scene i thought that you, was great you brought up the point of her walking through the subway but you could kind of see her toughness when she actually goes by herself to go talk to a uh, scarecrow and that's how she yes. got caught up in the first place like i would i would not go there by myself no well, matter what secure, she went to arkham yeah, she went it, to arkham asylum by herself so it, it's but not she, like, she still thought she was dealing with with a, a real doctor and, and she'd probably been to the prison many times before and dealt with the inmates there and people that were clients or whatever. So I, I bought that. Yeah. I, 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 it didn't bother me as much of that subway scene, but yeah, when you think about it, it is, it is kind of weird that her partner did go missing or whoever. And like, she's walking by herself, but I think they try to show that she's tough too, no matter how del delicate she is. I meant she was teaching Bruce about the real world earlier in the movie yeah like letting him know this is the outside world you're what you're what you're uh thinking is a fantasy land or whatever i mean i think what for me the only drawback that this movie has and again i it struck me when i was watching it last night is in a way 
this movie is kind of at war with itself because on one hand, Nolan is striking this real world the same way in Superman the movie, you'll believe a man can fly. Well, you'll believe Batman really exists. And he's, he's, he's grappling with that, making you believe in the Batman. But then at the same time, the pulp fiction roots of what Batman is and the scarecrow and I'm giving you drugs that make you scare. I'm going to scare you. And then there's a microwave device that liquefies or that, that turns water to gas. And I've got the League of Shadows. So you've kind of got this real world sensibility and this fantasy sensibility kind of pushing and pulling at one another all the time and you feel i feel in some ways it might have hampered the movie like they could have gone a little bit further in one direction but it's that's this is a minor complaint and i think that they did it more it, it when when you bring in the joker that took care of that you had the real world established but the joker you were, i'm gonna make a pencil disappear you know and you could <laughs> you could and i'm gonna go to hong kong and i'm gonna pull somebody out of a out of a building you know flying across it, 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 you had to set up the world the way they did it so all right well listen we could probably talk for another hour but we still have to get to your guys thoughts on batman begins you guys fired in a whole bunch of observations thoughts uh questions when we started the show so let's go on over now and hear from you guys and what you guys have to say about this we're going to start with city swift who writes that that shot that the shot that made me gas was when uh was the transition from carmine falcone on the light on the light to batman overlooking gotham that's always my favorite moment so good. it is a great thing because but I remember thinking, watching last time, I was like, how did he get up there? Well, yeah, and why is he up and there? And why is he up there? He can't <laughs> actually see what's going on in the street, but still, gorgeous, beautiful Batman right. kind of shot. Sidious also writes, uh, Batman and Joker have always been tied uh, for first as my favorite fictional characters. So when I saw that Joker card at the end, my excitement for another interaction between them was immense. And let's face it, that was like the ultimate post credit scene. Oh before there were post-credit scenes, right. like regularly. That was kind of like a post-credit scene. Yeah. And yeah, I still remember being in the theater when he turns that card over, it's got the Joker symbol, everybody in the theater oh, lost their minds. man, that's my only regret right there. Every time I watched that part, I was like, I wish I could have been in the theater. I wish I wasn't <laughs> oh, that, hating on Batman so much at the time. But that, yeah. that oh, that just changed everything. That was such a great moment. All right, Orange Hand writes, uh, don't the scenes where Bruce acts like a rich playboy idiot buying the hotel prove that Nolan understood that Batman is who he really is. No, it really doesn't. Um, because that wasn't even who Bruce Wayne was. Right. Like you saw Bruce Wayne act one way and then he continued to act that way. It's almost like he created two in, in Nolan's movies, Bruce created two more characters. There was the real Bruce who's just Bruce then there was the Batman, and then there was Playboy Bruce Wayne. So it's almost like there were three of them. Whereas when you look at the Ben Affleck, Zack Snyder version of Batman, there was two. There was the real individual who was Batman, and Bruce was totally the facade. Because the difference is, when you just have Alfred and Bruce talking in Nolan's films, he's Bruce Wayne. When it's just Alfred and Bruce talking in Batman versus Superman, that's Batman. Even without the mask on, even if he's wearing a suit, like Zack Snyder and Ben Affleck understood that Bruce Wayne died in the alley with his parents. And that was all that was left. So that's the one kind of difference I see. But I'll also, you know, it's Alfred that basically suggests to Bruce, maybe you should have some fun. 
Yeah. You know, and, and then you cut to him putting on this, this cre- brand new act. Yeah, he's creating this whole persona of the the bringing in the Euro the Euro models that go oh, there in the in the t- I, I mean to me I, I while I find that scene funny, I always think that's a little over the top. I, th- I think it's 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 but more, it works. He yeah. had to make us literally. He had to make a splash so he could get in the papers, and they would write articles exactly. about how Bruce Bruce Wayne's a. And buffoon. by the way, I don't mean to suggest that Christopher Nolan didn't understand Batman. Right. It was a creative choice. Yes, yes. That's yes. just decided how they he decided. Yeah, to do there's it. like there's like personality. You only want your friends to see, like only your friends get to see, and then the one that your enemies see. And then the one that you want all the whole world to see. Yeah, I mean, Bruce used like, Bruce Wayne was using his Playboy persona as yet another tool. Yeah, he created a brand new Playboy persona. Yes, he yeah. did. All right, next up, we got Jake C. who writes, My only big criticism about Batman Begins are the, uh, I don't know what that means, the S-C-T-I-O-N, Kitian? whatever sequences it rapidly cuts between 18 different camera angles excellent movie otherwise nine out of ten uh oh uh, you know what he meant to write action yeah Uh, he just missed the a Uh, what's a city okay yes the action and i agree i agree that that is the one kind of weak uh chink in the batman armor if you will was the fact that again it wasn't a lot of shaky camera which is great but super hyper rapid quick edits that I couldn't really tell what was going on in the hand-to-hand combat scenes like the action sequences with the tumbler looked awesome yeah wide shots panning all this kind of stuff the hand-to-hand fights were a little rougher to get into but I, I agree that was kind of the one and that's kind of something you it. and I noticed we were talking about this morning about that we've seen the one clip from the Batman how totally it looks like different. they've totally different and yeah you, you, a clip from the Batman that we talked about that made Warner Brothers take my show down today yeah. you, you, by you the think way. it had anything to do with the suit itself that's part of it maybe because you, you yeah. could because move. it would look so sloppy definitely, <laughs> it's definitely part of it because they couldn't they still they couldn't move the head yeah, side to exactly. side and you can't yeah yeah, for those of you who know what I was just talking about, so earlier today, oh. I got a notice from YouTube that Warner Brothers took down today's episode of the John Campia show because in that episode of the show, I very, by the letter of the law, completely rightfully showed that little clip and we analyzed the clip part by part, giving commentary and analysis, which is the absolute definition of fair use. But Warner Brothers pulled down today's episode of the John Campia show anyway. And I'm not going to lie. I was pretty mad. Oh, you were beyond mad. I was pretty mad. <laughs> and I said, that's it. We're not, first of all, we're not going to do this uh, Batman Begins movie club because I'm not going to give any promotion to Batman at all. And we're going to cancel the Batman fan screening and we're going to do all this kind of stuff. And I tweeted about it. Well, apparently so many of you guys retweeted it that within about 15 minutes, Warner Brothers withdrew their block <laughs> of the thing. So thank you to everybody who retweeted it to Warner Brothers and made them no one pull off promoted the their on movie that. as much as you? I mean, John, our ins- excitement what, me? for this film. promoting the Batman. Uh, I know. No. We, we talk about this every day on this show. We've done it for weeks. <laughs> but honest. But hey, you know what? They reinstated the show, so all is good. All is good. But okay, let's keep going here. Uh, next up, we got uh, Ty Burton who writes. I never said thank you, and you and you'll never have to. What a way to end a movie! I'm not gonna lie; we were joking a lot about that before the show started. You'll never have to. We're, <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you what we were saying, 
I never got to say thank you. It, it will never happen. We, re, we rewrote it in a strange way. Yeah, we, did, we, did, we put our own little creative ideas on, that, on what can lead up to the line, and you'll never have to. But uh, that'll stay between us. That'll stay between the three guys in this room. We're not, we're not going to share that one. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, next up, uh, Ty Burton also writes, I also love the way Nolan sets up the Dark Knight in this movie. He told a complete, fully realized story first and then left a little crumbs in the last scene for an even more ambitious sequel. Yeah, this is the way you do it. This is the way you do it. You tell your movies in a good, full, complete way. Leave a little open door at the end if you want to. That leaves room for you to follow into another thing later. But this is what you had to do. Tell a complete movie not a movie that tries to set up a franchise. And that's what they did. And you know what? Winning cures everything, man. All right, <laughs> next up. We have Kyle Arking writes, Batman Begins is my favorite movie of all time and made me want to be a filmmaker. I love the scene where Raz talks about losing his wife. Oh, I absolutely agree. And you're not alone, man. It, it is amazing how it's a lot of times people who want to be famous filmmakers, you ask them, what's your favorite movie? And they'll name the movie that is their favorite movie ever. Because that's the movie that made them want to be filmmakers. And I know that, you know, watching Star Wars as a kid, that created a lifelong love affair for me with movies, was watching Star Wars. But it's good now. I know you really love this movie, right? This like, is my favorite Batman movie so far. I, bar none. Just because of what it gave to me, what the insight it gave to me on this character that I completely knew nothing about before I watched it. So, yeah. Yeah, such a great That's all you can movie. ask for from yeah. a movie. Absolutely. All right, Kyle Arkinger also writes... Why do we fall so we can learn to pick ourselves up is one of my favorite movie lines. The relationship between Bruce and his father is great. And they used it well because it wasn't just a great emotional line that the dad says to Bruce once earlier, but it gets repeated. And then that was all set up for after the, the house is getting burned down. Rachel Ghoul had showed up and kicked his ass and they're in the elevator. It crashes down in the back cave. He says, I, I, I failed. I failed to save the city. He says, why do we fall down, Master Bruce? So we can learn to pick ourselves back up. And it was a beautiful connection between the beginning of his father and now his kind of surrogate father in a way. Uh, later on, it was an absolutely perfect moment. And what was the next line after that? You still haven't given up on me. He's oh, like, yeah, ne never. No, never. no, not, not never. Yeah, sir. Never. Never. That's and he goes, again, another line that he says to him earlier in the film. You still haven't given up on me? Never. Great. Which is like, just tells you everything about their relationship. It was so good. All right, next up. Uh, Lord Genome 76 writes, they should have connected this to Superman Returns. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. Well, Nolan has said in the universe of these he movies, was very clear. There, no, there are no other superheroes. Yeah. You know, Bruce Wayne did not develop his Batman persona based on the previous existence of other superheroes. Yeah, Christopher Nolan, he did several interviews about this. This is the thing to him that made Batman so special was the fact that he is just a man in the regular world yes there were no aliens there are no superpowers there's no supernatural it is just him as a man and i agree with him completely there like today movie audiences today seem to be absolutely like cocaine fiends addicted to the idea of everything has to be crossed over shared cinematic universes and i reject that no don't get me i love my shared cinematic universes too but I don't think everything should be stupid, crossed over shared cinematic universes. What happened to the great standalone stories? And Christopher Nolan was always very clear. My Batman is a unique individual in his world. 
And so, no, I don't think at all they ever should have crossed it over. And I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they didn't. But that's just me. Everybody has their own opinions on that little genome. All right, next up, Scotty H writes, I remember when this film came out, uh, my dad got me out of school to go see during the afternoon. Oh, nice. One of my fondest memories of my dad, great film. And that is a great experience to have. Oh, yeah. Because I, I never had a movie that my... No, I take that back. I think my mom... I think my aunt, Pina may have taken me out because you remember i always talk about my my italian side i always tell you my the men's names on the italian side right carlo Sigarlo, romolo vincenzo giovanni pasquale but then there's my aunts my dad's sisters pina leonora maria like so like that's yeah that's that's what the italian side of my family but i think my i think my parents let my aunt pina take me out of school to go see uh a matinee of uh of empire strikes back so i think that was the one time but I could see if I was a parent when this movie came out, this would probably be one I would take my kid out for too. All right, next up, Mr. Hank Dunn writes, I completely dismissed the idea that Superman couldn't fit in this universe. There's a bunch of things in present day that would have been sci-fi years ago. Oh, no, I disagree. I do completely reject the idea that Superman would have been in this. The, the whole brilliance about this, about Nolan's Batman-verse is the real-worldness of it. And yes, we are asked to suspend disbelief a little bit here and again, because that's a movie, right? But even in the most fantastical things that they do in this movie, they try to offer a reason why it could possibly be believable. Like everything from the technology he uses to the physical stuff that he does, it does it stretch believability? Absolutely it does. But that's okay. There's a difference between that in. There's an alien from another planet that blowed up and his parents sent him here in a giant acorn. And he landed here, raised by human beings. And he shoot lasers out of his eyes and fly in the sky. It's a very big difference between that. It's, it's not like it's close. Oh, they could have so easily fit together. Nah. And that's why Nolan rejected it. And I'm glad that he did. Uh, me too. Me too. And that's part of the charm and, and I think the greatness of his trilogy. I agree. I agree. But hey, listen, man, I'm not I'm not shitting on your opinion on that, Mr. Hank Dunn. You're not alone. There are other people who really wanted to see Christian Bale's Batman crossover. I respect that. I just disagree. Like, I, I have a different point of view on that. That's all. But I'm glad that you have yours, and I'm glad you shared yours. All right. Aiden Foley writes, <clears throat> uh, super unpopular opinion. I can't see Christian Bale as Batman. I love these movies and the character, but Bale just never struck me as Bruce somehow. Hey, man. These mo movies hit us all in different ways. And in, for you... These movies, the lead actor just didn't quite click with you. That's understandable. I think that happens with everybody with a lot of different types of movies. For me, he was Bruce Wayne from the moment we saw him in that Tibetan prison. I mean, and really, look, Christian Bale already had a name, right? Like he'd done American Psycho and uh, Newsies. Wasn't he in Newsies? Yeah, Empire of the Sun. Empire of the Sun. I mean, he was already a name, but not a household name. The Batman movies were the movies that made him a household name and made him the megastar that also, he is. Also, I mean, you but know, I always thought he worked. Yeah, I mean, I I liked him too. But if you look at Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck's face looks more like the Batman of the comics. Mm. He's got more of a I I, I don't know how, what you'd call it. His face is fuller. It looks more classical. It's square. It's so yeah, square. I mean, I mean, like Christian Bale has that sort of he would he would have been home in like ancient Greece, like Nightwing. As a, He's more of a Nightwing. Yeah, yeah, yes, he looks. Yes, that's exactly right. He's more of a Nightwing, more of an angular. I worked in the circus, kind of a guy. But you then know. that's nifty. So I was now. part of the we're Flying <laughs> Graysons, but that were. But yeah, I mean, it's just a different flavor. 
A different flavor. I'll tell you what, he really brings it home as Bruce Wayne when you see him at the boardroom in the suit. Oh. When he's in the suit with his hands in his pockets, like that oozes Bruce uh, Wayne to me. Uh, by I'm the way, another guy we're not talking about, we haven't mentioned, is Rutger Hauer, who's oh, great, CEO? great as the slimy CEO. And that moment where you kind of like him, like, okay, Bruce, it's good you're here. But when he fires Lucius Fox and says, you're fired, you just didn't get the memo. Did, I oh, mean, yeah. It's like you asked. I, I wanted to punch his face. I mean, I, I, I hate it. But when it he's at great. the funeral at the end, though, and he walks up to little Bruce... And he's what? How does he say it exactly? He says, uh, "We'll take care of the empire, and it'll be there waiting for you. When you're old enough, it'll be there waiting yep, for you." Yep. Even though he doesn't mean it, he he's like he's the Jeff Bridges of of this well, movie. Well, he may have meant it. I mean, remember, a lot of years pass between when that happens. And by the way, don't forget, by the time Bruce comes back, he had been gone for an X number of years. Right. He had been pronounced dead, and a lot of years had passed, and to the point where. He felt like the best thing for this company is to take it public now. That's what's best for this company. He's like, I, so I never looked at Rugger. I looked at Rugger Howard as a dick, but not a bad guy. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't a villain. He wasn't helping the bad guys behind the scenes. He was doing what he thought was best for the company, even if he was completely wrong. Yeah, I, I still, still think, a dick. I think that the city corrupted him too. Uh, but at the Maybe, same time, yeah. he, he thought Bruce was dead. Like he said, yeah. oh, we still alive. Yeah, like true. what was Bruce's, it became his baby. Uh, practically, but he also he got used to it. Yeah, he wasn't he got, so happy to see Bruce come back. Though. Oh yeah, because he was oh, like, "How, okay, you know, shit, how does this change everything for me?" You know, yes. maybe he got power hungry. But I gotta say, from the minute Liam Neeson steps in throughout the whole film, whenever there were suits, people were wearing suits. Nobody wore them like Men's you. Warehouse had something to do with this whole movie <laughs> or wherever you buy your suits from. <laughs> hey, no, they look so good. He looks yeah. so good. All right, next up, Fanimator writes. Between this and Iron Man 1, I would choose this. DC is great. I love how lines are repeated for dramatic emphasis. We were just talking about that. Underrated origin movie, 7.5 to 8 out of 10. Listen, that's that's the thing, though. Like, when you look at... These are two pivotal movies in the development of the comic book genre. Yeah. Batman Begins and Iron Man 1. Neither may be the best of their universes, but both are so foundational and responsible for getting everything going. I mean, th that's what turned the Batman, Christopher Nolan's Batman, into one of the most celebrated, you know, film franchises ever. The Dark Knight trilogy is one of the most celebrated film franchises ever. There's still many, 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 many people who think The Dark Knight is the greatest comic book movie of all time. And then, of course, Iron Man kind of kicked off the MCU, which is the biggest powerhouse in the history of cinema. So I don't think you got to pick one. I think they're both brilliant and they both uh, served a very, very important function. I all agree. Right. Next up, Casey Mack writes, Gotta say, when I saw this movie, I really did not expect the shocking twist they had with uh, Liam's character. <laughs> Just those big surprises. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. First time I saw this movie, too, I didn't see that twist coming. Like, I thought Ken Watanabe was Rush al Ghul because he was a perfect Rush al Ghul. But it also made sense when he talks about, you know, deception. It's one of our tools. It's one of our weapons. He's Rush al Ghul. It made sense, but I will admit that the first time I saw the movie, I didn't see that twist coming. I don't know. What about you guys? Did you see it coming? Oh, I just... This was all new to me. I owe... Right, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What about you, Rob? No, no. I didn't really, to be honest. And I loved it. All right. Next up, we got um, Ryan Lohner writes... Dang it, Bruce. Why couldn't you let Joffrey die and save everyone a ton of trouble? I mean, it's true, right? Like, it's so funny. <laughs> when you go back and watch Batman Begins for the first time in a while, 
I mean, I, I have seen Batman Begins since Game of Thrones, but I remember the first time I watched Batman Begins again after watching Game of Thrones. And then all of a sudden the kid pops up. I'm like, oh my God, I totally forgot about that kid. Like it is kind of jarring. All right. Uh, Ivan Nava sends in like a $20 super chat to support the channel. Thank you, Ivan. And Ivan writes in, I've never understood the recent criticism of the Nolan trilogy not being great Batman films. Uh, they are literally adaptions of Long Halloween, Year One, and No Man's Land. How much more Batman do you need to get? Well, here's the problem, Ivan. Just saying that you're based on something doesn't make you good right. at, at that. Right. By the way, you're not going to hear me criticize that they're not good Batman films. I think they're very much good Batman films. But just because that's kind of like saying you didn't think that was a great movie. How can you say that? It was about a, a teen struggling with dark drug addiction. Okay, that can be the source of great filmmaking, great personal struggles, inner demons. But that's because you're about that doesn't mean you did a great job with it. And so while I am not one of those critics, I think these are great Batman films. Um, I don't think just saying that well, they borrowed influences from the long Halloween, or whatever, that doesn't make them good or means they execute no, it's all it, no it's all in the execution <laughs> also john i think a lot of people they want a little bit more batman the animated series yeah you know they yeah. it's i think that nolan made a choice a very specific choice to set these movies in a real world yeah and not the kind of fantastical world that a lot of the other like there's no clay face in this universe there's no killer croc yeah, no you Mr. Know, Freeze. No, no Mr. Yeah. Freeze. It's so. All right, next up, we've got, um, where are we? Dan White writes, I love how it was Bruce's fear of bats slash leaving show early that led to his parents' death. I don't think that was in the original comic. And Ray, you and I were talking about this earlier about it, that fear, because that will stay with Bruce later on, that not only... Like a lot of kids might get bored and say, can we leave? And the parents go, well, yeah, that doesn't make it Bruce's fault. But because he was motivated to ask his parents to leave because of his fear, that becomes, that amplifies later in life as he's an adult, that fear destroyed his world, his fear of this one thing. And that's what made that moment so beautiful that you were pointing out, Ray, when he's standing in the cave and decides to stand there as the bats swirl around him, just close his eyes and soak in his own fear. Right. And I don't think that's nearly as powerful if it wasn't for the fact that it was the imagery of bats that made him want to leave and then ultimately got his parents killed. And anything that's ever scared you when you're young, it's not like you forget about it the next day. It no. goes into your head at least once every day that you're like, and sometimes it'll manifest itself into how you act or how you even be behave. I don't know. It's just that powerful to me when you're such a, a young person and you have that small you know, brain, I don't know. Small that younger brain. brain, that younger brain that just absorbs everything. All right, next up, Ryan Loner writes, Christian Bale's bulking up for this film came immediately after The Machinist. He seriously could have killed himself. Was it after The Machinist or did he do The Machinist after this? Like, did he rapidly put on bulk or did he rapidly lose weight? I don't I can't remember. remember. It was one or the other. Either the way, way, it was a massive, it was a massive yeah. body change that he says, like, after he did what was the the, the the Cheney movie he did, right? Where he put on a lot of weight too. Mm -hmm. It was after that movie that he said, done. Vice. I'm not, it was Vice. I'm not doing these massive body changes anymore. This isn't good for my health and stuff like that. But oh my God, how skinny he got for The Machinist. 
Like that's that's uncomfortable to look at. It is. And then you look at him in Batman Begins, like this is the same guy. Yeah, I honestly can't remember which one came first, which one shot first. I'm not quite sure. All right, next up, uh, Tom Gillard writes. Liam Neeson trained Obi-Wan and Batman. Why would anyone want to kidnap his family after that? He's the Liam Neesons, man. He's the Neesons. It's the Liam Neesons. I love Liam Neeson. All right, Santos Henderson writes, this movie is amazing. My one gripe is how the camera is positioned for the action scenes as you could barely see the fights uh, and editing with one man saying, leave the tower. Let me try this again. And editing with one man saying, leave the tower at the end of multiple at the end multiple times. I'm not quite sure what we mean by that. Yeah, to me, though, with the action, though, Santez, it wasn't about the camera position. The camera position was fine. It's just that in the same amount of time, it takes me to say the Batman number 1189. In the amount of time it took me to say that, they had seven edits. <laughs> to seven other camera positions. And the thing and is, that was the hard part. John, like I've said a million times on the show, editing creates a false sense of action. Every time you're cutting, the actual act of cutting is almost like you're punching, and it really isn't yeah. that way. The cutting is jarring, and it is fake action. All right, next up, we got Michael uh, Reichmuth, who writes, my all-time favorite Batman movie because of the story. I just wish the cinematography was up to the level of the next two movies, uh, with using Chicago. Um, you know what I was about to say? I don't really have, I don't have an issue with the cinematography, but the more I think about it, maybe I did. Maybe I did Mm. some of the choices. I mean, when you go now then into the dark Knight, the dark Knight rises, I think the dark Knight rises is the weakest of the movies, but it had some beautiful cinematography in it. And with between the editing choices and the camera positioning and stuff like that, maybe, maybe the cinematography in this one wasn't quite as good. It definitely feels like they stepped up in the further movies. What well, they think? had more. They had more scope in. In they were actually on these bigger, much wider city streets where they're having car chases that they could linger on the. I mean, you know, and when they flip that semi truck in oh, Dark yeah. Knight, I mean, they're on a real street, you know, that has a long way to watch. This is again. They're hiding, they're only using smaller sections of the city, whereas in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, they were able to show much bigger vistas. So it, it, it's opened up more. It's less claustrophobic. All right, next up, uh, Daya writes, the score in these movies is incredible. I know the whole week that we've been talking about, we're going to be doing Batman Begins. All Ray would talk about is the music. This, this, this has been your favorite part of this movie for a long the, time. The very first time I've listened to... Uh, soundtrack like this where there's no real like like radio songs right it's just all like the score, score. From, the, from beginning <laughs> to end and every single song i saw that part in that movie like that's how much right. a song impacts yeah. you where it may not be the most popular sound but you know exactly where it happens in the movie which is yep. crazy to me Imagine- i've never listened to a soundtrack from front from uh beginning to end like this now, try to imagine for a moment the scenes where we were talking about the scenes earlier where he's assembling the Batman uniform, right? And that score that plays. Okay. Now imagine that scene, but take out the music and put in Eye of the Tiger. Rising up, back on the feet, did my time, took my chances. As he's spray painting the thing, totally different movie. Just a totally different movie. It, it is right. They chose not to use any any soundtrack they chose to use all score 
And that was a really key vital part of this movie. I absolutely agree. All right, next up. Casey Mack writes, one of two. This movie uh, really introduced me to Killian Murphy. uh, Pretty have followed. Let me try this again. This movie really introduced me to Killian Murphy. Pretty have followed his career uh, ever since I saw this movie. I think that was for a lot of people. Now, I'm trying to go back to 2005. What would we have known Murphy in before Well, he said earlier, 28 days later. Was that before 2005? I believe it was. I saw him. See, I'm terrible with movie dates. Yeah, I, I got to go to you or Scott Mance for movie dates. Um, but he, you know, he was great in that. But he yeah, did no, a he lot is. of other things, and and it's nice. Yeah, I, I can't. They they released a picture of him as Oppenheimer today, working with Christopher Nolan again. He's looking good as Oppenheimer. Wasn't he in yeah. Dunkirk too? Yes, he was. And he's so good in Peaky Blinders. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people love him that. But again, he's he's building a career working with Christopher Nolan in a lot of these films. All right. Uh, next. Oh, sorry, I got forgot part two of Casey Max. He was great as Jonathan Crane slash Scarecrow. His vision through the Batman. Um, when he got blasted by his own fear gas, gave me numbers again. That that demonic face he had. It was you know, great. Where's Rajago? I mean, that that was a really really great moment, Casey. All right, Mighty Tank One writes. Tumblr is my favorite Batmobile. So cool. I 100% agree, Mighty Tank. It's my it's the least Batmobile of all the Batmobiles, but it's still my favorite. Uh, Glenn Mark Productions writes. Enormous man, you are in hell, and I am the devil. Slash Wayne dusts himself off. Wayne, you're not the devil. That's Marvel. No, <laughs> you're not the devil. Your practice. I love that line so much in there. All right. Our friends over at Fanjecture write, I know she gets a lot of hate because of Dawson's Creek, but my hot take is that Katie Holmes was a better Rachel than Maggie Gyllenhaal. It all depends on what you're looking for in Rachel Dawes, right? Like Agreed. the stuff you were mentioning, Rob, if those are the things you're looking for more then Maggie Gyllenhaal kind of brought those things to life a little bit more. If you're looking for the Rachel Dawes that was Bruce Wayne's childhood friend growing up and has that affinity for him still, well, that's Katie Holmes. Yes. So I, I guess it really depends on which which aspects of Rachel were more important to you. Because whatever ones are more important to you, those are the ones, then that'll determine which one you thought was the better incarnation. But both of them brought their own strengths to it. All right, next up. Glenmark Productions writes, uh, Descartes, are you ready to begin? Wayne, I I can barely stand. Descartes, death does not wait for you to be ready. Tiger, Jiu-Jitsu, Panther, Wayne, again, Marvel. <laughs> I get it. Uh, Panther, okay. But that was, I love that moment. Like, Descartes at that point has been like, we can help you achieve your goals. We can help you achieve your goals. We can help you achieve your goals. Okay, you're here, great. I'm going to beat the shit out of you to teach you how to achieve your goals. And I really did kind of like that. Was that. Great. I love that. Nasty introduction to the league. All right. Uh, Gonzi95 writes, the Shinobi concepts in the film grounded it a lot. Theatrically and... Uh, thea- the- uh, theatrics and deception are powerful agents. You must become more than just a man in the mind of your opponents. My favorite line in cinema. But And really, it's it's in that moment that he lays out the blueprint for the Batman. Of course. It's that line that he says to Bruce that sticks with him that makes him realize, that that helps him conceptualize this whole notion. Not a ninja, because people might laugh at him running around the streets looking like a ninja, but as the Batman. And, and maybe in some ways that might become the most important line in the film. And I also love the idea that Bruce Wayne is taking things from everybody he's met. You know, he's not uh, he's not rejecting what he's learned here. He's taking it to heart. So even though he might find himself at odds with Ra's al Ghul, he did learn from him. And and he had a lot of good things to teach Bruce. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next up. 
Uh, we go to Aaron P who writes, do you think uh, the new Batman will be as gritty as Batman begins? That's why I love DC over popcorn movie Marvel. <laughs> like that's why you prefer Shazam and Aquaman and flash pretty, <laughs> uh, whatever. Um, I, th this is going to be very great. And by the way, gritty doesn't make your movie good, right? No. If your movie's good, grittiness feels but, awesome. You know, I think when people talk about that, I, I, the Marvel Cinematic Universe overall is much more fantasy sci-fi than this. Batman is not, he's a, he's a dark fantasy character. He's a gothic character. And by the way, character. Batman, Christopher Nolan's Batman is a very different thing than the DCEU. This this Christopher Nolan's Batman so. franchise has nothing to do with the DCEU. Very much so. But yeah. this is, I mean... These Batman movies are so far away from Thor. You know, they're they're not really even in the same realm. I mean, we can call them both superheroes, but you're never going to see a rainbow bridge in this iteration of a superhero. Yeah. All right. Next up, uh, we've got. But by the way, do I think the new Batman's going to be as? I think this new Batman's going to be more gritty, way more gritty, like far more. It's gritty. It's going to be like a '70s cop epic, like Prince of the City or something, with a superhero super, in it. Super, super violent. All right, uh, Glenn Mark writes, Falcone, uh, what the hell are you, Batman? And that's DC. I really don't know what you mean by that. Anyway, Anish writes, uh, one or two. As grounded as Nolan's Batman movies were, props to him for also putting in things that were directly from the comics. For example, calling the bats to help him escape from the police's from year one. And in The Dark Knight, Harvey Gordon and Batman on the rooftop uh, talking is from Long Halloween. Yeah, I mean, look, I think all the comic book movies we've seen to one degree or another, borrow a lot from imagery, thematics, whatever, from their stories. And definitely we had not only Christopher Nolan, but uh, David... Uh, David Goyer. David Goyer. He brought in a lot of that because yes, he's a he big did. comic fan. Yes, he did. So he was bringing that stuff in. Uh, the David Goyer, Christopher Nolan, and Christopher's brother... Um, Jonathan. Jonathan Nolan went on to be very successful making the, the, the next two Batman films as well. And they always, they continue to bring in those thematic uh, similarities. All right, thanks a lot for that, Nish. All right, next up, we got uh, Krutkik Patel, who writes, Hey, John, did you know that the titles for the soundtrack in this movie are named after bats? I did not know that. <laughs> also, the first letter in the tracks, in tracks four through nine, spell out Batman. I also did not know that. I didn't know that either. Know that either. They really they, the name of the individual pieces of music are named after species of bats. I love that. And how long did it take them to figure out six species of bats <laughs> that spell out Batman? <laughs> uh, I mean, if that's true, I've never heard that. But if that is true, that's a pretty amazing piece of uh, of trivia. All right, Harry Katsaros writes: Was at AU premiere. And remember the reaction of the audience at the end. If you're talking about when the uh, Joker card came up, Jaws dropped in stunned silence. Nobody saw it coming, changed comic book movies. I'm assuming he's talking about the Joker card popping up. Yeah. Because we all remember that moment, right? Like for you, Ray, that was like you, that's what made you wish you saw it in the theater. Yeah, yeah. Every time I see it, even till this day. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts real bad. <laughs> because you know how I love audience reactions. Yeah. I actually go on YouTube after I seen a good movie and listen, there's no pictures on the screen. It's just a movie poster and people record the reactions in theaters, oh, the yeah. sounds. And I listen to those. So, all right. Yeah, that's next, my life. <laughs> next up, Steel Smith writes, 
other than 2002 Spider-Man, this one, this is one of my favorite comic book movies. Uh, first time hearing I'm Batman just gave me chills. Deep down, you may still be the same great kid you used to be. I, by the way, that line, that might be Rachel Dawes' best line because he's coming out of the hotel. He's got the two hot supermodels that just got naked in a hotel in the water and he got in with them. He's walking them back to his sports car and he sees Rachel. First of all, he's kind of a dick for not giving her a call and saying I'm back in town. Yeah. But well, that aside for a second. But when she says to him, when he tries to tell her, like, I'm still inside, like it's still me. And she says that line to him that deep down, you may be still that great kid, same great kid, but it's your actions that define you. That also became very pivotal for him moving forward about what it is he chooses to do. It doesn't matter who you are in your heart. It's what you do. And uh, I thought that was a great moment for them in there as well. Good, well point, well pointed out, Steele. All right. Uh, Glenn Mark writes, uh, Gordon, uh, new guy, leaves a calling card. Batman, can't be. Uh, it's Jack of Hearts, and that's Marvel. Gordon, sorry, this card, Batman, now that's DC. Again, I have no idea what you're going for with these Talking things. about a, pl- a card, a, a deck of cards. He pulled Yeah, but he's out. going on with Marvel, this Marvel-DC comparison. I just have no Jack idea of what, Hearts what is point a Marvel he's trying character. to make. Hmm. Uh, Dan's Productions writes, what was the state of the Batman franchise from y'all's perspective in 2005? I was just five, so Batman Begins was the first ever Batman movie I had seen. Well, it was... <laughs> you got to remember, they're coming off... The last Batman movie was Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze. Oh. I mean, it was a movie so bad, it didn't kill the franchise. It killed the genre. <laughs> yes. You, you got to remember this. When that George Clooney, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Chris O'Donnell, Batman movie came out. Alicia Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone, who she found the Batcave. Let her be Batgirl. I, I, never mind. But that was a movie so horrendously bad, it killed the entire genre. And it wasn't until years, a few years later when X-Men came out and I mean, a, a couple other little comic book movies got made including a very good one in blade, but it wasn't until X-Men came out. Now I know some people like to argue, but you're wrong. Some people like to argue that, Oh, it was blade that did it. No, 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 no. Listen to the Hollywood, the Hollywood producers and the studio executives. Blade was the one off, even though they made three of them. <laughs> yeah. But they see executives and series. And what's the, the executive producer of Batman. Uh, and he went Chuck on to Roven. What's that? Was it Chuck Roven? Roven, yes, Charles Roven. Sorry, I, I knew him as Charles, so I didn't recognize when you said Chuck. Yeah. Charles Roven, he very famously went on to talk about how the fact that it was X-Men that made a lot of the studio guys realize you can make comic book movies like this. A comic book movie that started with Auschwitz and a child being ripped from his parents' arms as they went off to be gassed. And then Wolverine fighting, you know, doing cage fights in the Great White North. <sighs> I mean... It was it was that sort of thing. But you got to understand, that's the state. That was our last impression of Batman. A movie that killed the genre of comic book movies. So, yeah, when Christopher Nolan came out and they said, they get the guy from Memento? They're getting the Memento guy to do Batman? Well, don't forget your favorite movie, Insomnia, too. Yeah. Because he did Memento was an indie film, but then he went over and worked. He proved 
Christopher Nolan proved in grand fashion that he could work underneath the studio, the auspices of the studio. And once you become a studio director and can work with within that system, you've you've achieved that's the highest level you can get to. And he showed that he was a team player. He could work with two actors of great stature and make it work. Three. Well, yes, th that's right. He was working with three. I, I can't remember if they were at the time, but those three are all three. Talk about the, the cast Insomnia. All yeah. three Academy Award winners. Yeah. And he was able to do that and manage that. That's not an easy no, feat. Not easy at all. And he managed it perfectly. All right. Uh, but that was the state, man. That was the state of Batman. All right. Steel Smith writes. Oh, um, oh, there was a part two to Steel Smith. He never said part one. Okay. So the part two to Steel Smith. But it's who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. Rachel Dawes, one of my favorite quotes. And again, yes, absolutely agree. Absolutely one of my favorite lines in that movie, Steel. Uh, Efron Dagman writes. And sends in like a $25 super chat. Thank you, Efron, for supporting our channel on that level. He writes, uh, till date whatever, I take a car. Sorry. Till date, whenever I take a car for a test drive, I ask them, does it come in black? To this day, whenever I see a car. But that line is so good. Does it come in black? I love that line. That was great. great. All right. And again, thanks a lot for supporting our channel on that level, Efron. I appreciate that, man. All right. Tim Platt writes, Batman Begins was my first exposure to Batman as an adult and justified in my mind all the years I spent defending Batman over Superman as a kid. <laughs> and again, like, that's how special the character Batman is, right? Like, you'll never hear discussions about whether, I don't know, who's a... Uh, well, sticking to DC realms, you'll never hear an argument of can Green Arrow beat Wonder Woman? in a fight that's a ridiculous question of course he can't but batman can batman take superman one of my favorite <laughs> um i'm not a big fan of a lot of marvel or dc's animation stuff but one of the best episodes that i've watched this clip many many times of dc animated stuff was that one where there was somebody i, I think it was oh, forgetting the villain's name they portrayed him in CW as well. I'm freezing on his name. Metallo? No, it wasn't Metallo, but there was a there was a villain out there basically taking down all the members of the Justice League. And you found out the way they were taking them down was they got a hold of Batman's strategy plans for taking down. Yeah, that was like Brother Eye. It, no, it was a, was it not Brother Blood. It was um Whoa, oh, was it whoa. Om, not Omac? Did they I mean No, it was somebody one of the characters they they portrayed him in the CW thing at one point. I now I cannot parasite. It's not parasite. No, it's not parasite. And I'm free. Vandal Savage. Thank you. Oh. Jacob Nelly put it in there first. So I believe it was Vandal Savage. And it was all based on the idea that Batman had orchestrated contingency plans in case any member of the Justice League got either mind controlled or went crazy or whatever. Batman was the one to take. That's them right. Down. Comics too. Shows you the That's strength. Right the comics. Shows you the strength of the brain. Yeah, and Compared so Batman to, to anything, and Superman says in in those in those episodes, like Superman says, like Batman is the most dangerous person in the world, and that's why in the comics and in the movies you can have Batman versus Superman. But one of the great ending lines of that, so everybody's pissed off at Batman when they find out that he was the reason they were able to take him down. Like, how dare you make these plans behind their back? And Batman basically says a very Batman thing. He says, "Look, if you can't recognize." the need to have a check and balance in place in case one of us, that how dangerous we can be, then I got no place here. And he says, peace out. And he starts to walk away. And Superman catches up with him. And again, it's a great, great line. Because there's the badass of Batman saying, look, if y'all fools don't recognize 
that we could be a problem and we need to have a plan in place, then you're stupid. And I don't have any patience for stupid and I'm gone. So he's leaving and Superman went up to him as he's leaving and says, like, hey, because of course Superman and Batman are tight, right? <laughs> Superman says to him, well, do you have a contingency plan for you? Like, what if you go crazy? And he says, yeah, I do. You guys. <laughs> you guys are my contingency plan in case I go nuts. It's just a great, 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 great moment. I love that moment. It's like the quintessential Batman moment to me. That really shows the personality of Batman. But yeah, who's the whole Justice League fear? If you're Batman. And like, this is so great. Anyway, sorry, I got sidetracked there, Tim. Let's keep going, shall we? Um, <laughs> uh, Martindale uh, writes, I love the Nolan films, but the one thing I wish they did better was the fight sequences. I completely agree with yeah. you, Martindale. The Batman versus Superman warehouse fight is the stuff of dreams. Dude, in Batman versus Superman, whatever problems you may have with that movie, I like that movie quite a bit. But whatever problems you may have, you got to concede that Batman, Ben Affleck's Batman on that roof, wrecking fools, is like one of my favorite action sequences in comic book movie oh, yeah. history. That is such a great moment. As he's just completely ripping these guys apart. And he's pulling some rock bottom moves and all that kind of <laughs> stuff onto. Oh, it was a thing of beauty. But yes. As 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 a masterpieces as Christopher Nolan Batman films are, he could have done the action sequences a little better. They they could have been better, absolutely. All right. Next up, Anish writes, uh, one of two. I don't know if you've heard, but some directors don't like superhero movies. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No. Anyway, on the other side, there are prominent directors who have been drawn to Batman. Of course, Nolan, but also Denis Villeneuve and Aronofsky. Both have shown interest in making a Batman movie. Uh, what do you guys think draws people to the Caped Crusader as opposed to other superheroes? <laughs> that is a great question, but I think the answer lies in a lot of stuff we were talking about. He is the best of both worlds. He is, because when you look at the character of, of Bruce, he is a man who is defined by an early childhood tragedy, the murder and the death of his parents in front of his eyes as a child, and how that Look, Batman is a damaged individual. Well, he's a, in a way, he's a monster who's trying to do good. Yeah. You know, he's lost it in a way. He's lost his humanity. He's lost his soul. And in trying to 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 achieve justice, he's trying to get back what was robbed from him in his childhood. That moment when his parents were taken from him, his 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 soul died and he's trying to get it back. He's like a gothic hero. And I think people He's not flying around. He's not, everyone can believe and understand his motivations. And the fact that he isn't in outer space and he isn't on Mount Olympus somewhere. He's in our cities. We need a Batman. Well, and that's kind of what makes him a best of both worlds kind of character. He is the real human drama that a lot of these directors would be attracted to. But he's also a comic book mega franchise in the making character yeah. so it, it can be a best of both worlds i can see why but be. like you said we all all dudes want to be batman it's he's a valid career path option batman that. is a valid career path option <laughs> all right uh last question of the day comes to us from andrew Eunice, who writes sucks that this batman needed his girlfriend to slap him around a bit and tell him his father would be ashamed <laughs> of him to become batman but he did listen Literally or figuratively, if we've got people who are true friends 
literally or figuratively, we need a good slap once in a while and to be shaken a bit and told to come back to reality. We all need that. I mean, like, honestly, like one of, I, I don't know how to say this properly. Um, there is only one person on this planet who has any power over me. Like, I mean, that I would literally be afraid of. It's Anne. And and it's not because she's 102 pounds of Filipino fury. That's not, that's not what I mean. But I mean, like, there's nobody, uh, I don't care what anybody on this planet thinks of me, except her, which she thinks is the world of importance to me. And therefore, her getting mad at me or whatever is a terrifying thought to me. I hate that. Nobody else on this, in this world has that kind of power over me. And, but we all need people like that in our lives because those are the people we will listen to when we need to be given a reality they show. They keep us honest. And so, she was that for him. Those who truly care about you the most will tell you everything you don't want to hear. Yes. That you don't want to hear, but That's you right. need to hear. Whether you listen to them or not, it's up to you. But really... All the bad things that people say, it's because they really care about you. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the people closest to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that was a great example of, like, while, again, I've said, I don't think Rachel Dawes is my favorite character in these movies, in, in either of the movies that she was in as a character, but that was a very important moment. Like, Bruce needed that. Because if she didn't care about him, she would have went with it the way he was viewing the world. Oh, yeah, it is like this, Bruce. Yeah, it is. As long as you treat me fine, we're fine. Nope. Let's and I don't think real. his journey would have started yeah, if it wasn't real. for that conversation in the car. Like, she, 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 he brought a gun. That's something that will ruin his life. And yeah, she smacked him in the face because she cared. He's lucky it was just a smack. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and right now, if one of us did that, if we were around anywhere, but we I mean, Whether be... it's literally or figuratively, yeah. I mean, I think, and that's an important moment. Anyway, I also want to point out that... Um, uh, Nier and the Jug all both send in Super Chat badges to be supportive. Thank you, guys. And guys, that'll do it for today's episode and meeting. This brings to a close and adjourns our meeting of Movie Club for this week. Of course, we were talking about Batman Begins. The best Batman film out there. Sorry, John. I just had to say that. My favorite. It, it is a great Batman movie, no doubt. And we're glad that you guys came along and were part of it. And thank you for contributing to the discussion as well, guys. Really appreciate all that. Uh, little agenda note here. The next meeting of Movie Club, of course, is next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And the movie we are going to be talking about is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Talking about, we're talking about the, we've got a little pattern other than Gladiator. <laughs> pattern of Iron Man 1, Batman Begins, now Indiana Jones, these great movies that kicked off incredible and franchises. And who has never seen Raiders? Raiders has never seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, so we're going to be getting his first fresh impressions of that you movie. thought Uncharted was good. Wait, <laughs> wait, yeah, if you liked Uncharted. Wait till you see okay. the real one. But okay. And guys, that gives you all a week to get brushed up on uh, on Raiders of the Lost Ark. We hope to see you back again next time. We got sitting over here, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or RMB or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Network. But mostly I just hang out here with John and Ray. And, of course, right over there is Ray. Uh, Ray, Ray, blah, blah, blah. Ray, where can people find you? At home watching Terminal and at Ray Aura <laughs> with a zero. Uh, and uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter just at John Campia. That'll do it for us for now, guys. Thanks for being here for Movie Club. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.